0: Well, welcome back to the next phase with Steve Key podcast. Today, I reach way back to someone I first met in radio back when we were both at CKO in the early 1980s. Bob Neufeld is an experienced communications pro, solid background in issues management, media relations, strategic communications, uh, planning. He's uh, working in the freelance world, much like myself, uh, and he is available. He is available and he's a good one for short-term or longer-term contract uh, requirements. Uh, Today we're going to speak on a number of issues, so I welcome you to the show, Bob.
1: Thank you very much, Steve. Great to be here.
0: Now, first question, where did all the years go? I know. I know.
1: It's I, I still think of those days back at CKO, working in Carlton Street and the tape bays and uh, all the crazy stuff we used to get up to back in those days. But um, radio was a lot more free form then. And uh, it was a lot more fun. I think um, we uh, we had some days, I know the pay was awful, but there were some days we just couldn't stop laughing. Couldn't believe how much fun we were having. But it's been a good run and I enjoyed it while I did it. And I'm grateful for the time I had in radio.
0: I, uh, I have to agree. It was a dream of mine to work in radio when I was a teenager. Um, had the you know was fortunate to be able to work in that, but you're right about the pay. Um, because I remember a guy who was sort of the operations manager at the time, his name was Dave LaFave, uh, calls me into his office and says, we're, we're going to give you a full-time work and uh, you're going to make $9,500 a year. And I went, well, I'm working. <laughs> but $9,500 a year was uh, not much. Still had to live at home and, and do things. But uh, oh, what a great training ground. It was oh, so yeah. good wow. to be able to do that. And, and again, meet and continue to speak with these people after all these years. It's amazing the people I still keep in contact with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We all, we all have our first uh, job horror stories. Mine was in Woodstock, Ontario, Canada in 1983 at $720 a month. And my apartment was $400 a month. So it was very crazy times trying to scramble. I ate a lot of spaghetti.
0: Well, and then we, uh, we of course uh, left radio and went into, (laughs) went into (laughs) communications where, you know, for some it's like, jumping over to the dark side and, and, and doing that. But I don't think that that's really fair from a communications public relations perspective because we do work. Now you've done a lot of work for, for NGOs. And for those who don't know what they are, they're non-government organizations. They're uh, not-for-profit groups that function independently of the government. And you've done a lot of work in these areas. How challenging is, is work for an NGO? An NGO's work uh,
1: can be both incredibly rewarding and
0: incredibly frustrating. Um,
1: The rewarding part is if you're working for a a charity or a nonprofit that's involved in overseas work or development work or even work here and within Canada, there's a chance to meet some incredibly dedicated people who are really devoting their lives to making other people's lives better. And at one job I worked, they did have a sign at the front, uh, at the rear door where the employees left, and it said, you made a difference today in someone's life. And that, that's a good feeling, like that's an, a really excellent feeling. And there's also some very creative work to be done within the NGO sector. Um, on the downside, NGOs do pay less for the most part than other organizations, uh, other public relations organizations and everything like that. And once they get rolling, they can be very difficult to maneuver in terms of their flexibility, particularly the larger organizations. Uh, There's very much a a feeling that we've done this before. It's always worked before. And therefore, we have to keep doing it. So there can be times when it's tough to push innovation forward within that kind of environment. But you have to weigh the pros and the cons of uh, of doing it.
0: A lot of students today, young people in general, um, they have a different view of the world. And I I don't think the early stages of my career, I was mature enough or um, giving enough to be able to work for an NGO. At this stage of my life, all I'm trying to do is give back. Now, uh, do you recommend NGOs for
1: students? I think uh, for internships or co-op placements, I think they're a great place to get a feeling for whether, as you say, you're mature enough to do it or whether you think it's the kind of environment for you. Um, Like a lot of areas of uh, the NGO world, there are a fair number of people even in communications who had worked for a variety of private sector employers or organizations And then one day usually had an epiphany of some sort that said, I want to do something different. Uh, I've worked with several people mid to late career who had that same sort of feeling was that, you know, I worked for company X, I promoted product X or I promoted service X. Now I want to do something different. I would not recommend jumping right into NGO communications. Uh, I think you really need a level of patience and, um, certainly a level of understanding of the broader media before I would recommend going to an NGO. That's not to say it's not a great place to start, but I would say try a co-op a placement or even some volunteer work for the organization and see if that works for you.
0: That's uh, that's good advice over your, your career. uh, Given the work that you've done, you have probably had to be exposed to some pretty tragic situations and travel to some places that uh, you just realize how fortunate we are in Canada. Uh, Any any stories stick out in your your head?
1: I um, went um, to the Middle East during the Syrian refugee crisis. And I was in the Bekaa Valley in Lebanon. We were staying, the Lebanese government uh, did not want to establish formal refugee camps because that meant that they would have to, there was be permanent support there and they they wouldn't do it. So many refugees just basically squatted in farmers' fields and things like that. And we went to visit one family and we were chatting in English because the older people understood English a little bit. Uh, They were educated Syrians. But all of a sudden the little eight-year-old boy in the corner started crying and um, our our interpreter who spoke Arabic said, you know, what's what's the matter? And so the boy through his tears told us and he said, uh, I'm hearing you all speak English and when I was in Syria I was going to school and I was learning English and I haven't been to school now in two years and I miss my friends and I miss my school. And so we asked him, "Can you speak any English?" And then he he was able to count from one to eight in English, and we all gave him a big round of applause and everything like that. But I think to this day, I'm still I'm still wondering what happened to him. You know, did he eventually go back to Syria? Has he been assimilated in Lebanon? You know, it it's those kinds of things that you see. You know, um, a woman on a bus when I was in. Uh, I went to uh, Serbia to cover the crisis there for the Syrian refugees after they were coming across the Mediterranean from uh, Algeria and other places to Europe. And you would see a woman uh, limping along the side of the road because she's diabetic and she hadn't had insulin in months. And essentially gangrene had taken a part of her foot off and you have to give her a lift. You know, your, your van stops, you give them a lift to a hospital nearby or a UN facility nearby, and, you know, your heart just bleeds for them. And you have to think, you know, I could empty my wallet here on the spot, but it really wouldn't do much good for her over the longer term. Right. So the best you can do is guide them to the people who can help them. And those kinds of things stick with you. Absolutely.
0: Wow. Uh, it certainly puts things into perspective. Uh, as we live here in our you know, suburban communities and, and have, have had some really great lives. Uh, I want to kind of sum up, you've, you've, you've worked in a number of different areas. You've done a lot of different things. Any career advice for would-be communicators uh, about how they can manage this life that we've chosen?
1: I think, um, first of all, if you are an introvert like me, um, practice some extroverted activities. It's been difficult in some ways for me to be the kind of communicator, you know, who's the hail fellow well met, you know, uh, slap on the back, pick up the phone, let's talk, let's have a coffee sort of thing. Over time, I've worked on that. But I've also found that I'm very comfortable working behind the scenes, doing things like we've talked about earlier: strategic communications, issues management. I don't recommend going into issues management directly, because it can be um, it, it it's it forces you to look at the dark side of so many issues, and it can be very difficult to uh, emotionally prepare yourself for that. I guess my advice is. Um, Be prepared to be flexible, be prepared to move around. I've, like you, I've lived in various parts of the country for long periods of time. Uh, I've worked as hard as I can to make contacts with people. Keep, you know, never close a door behind you. Always keep one foot in the door somehow. And I think by doing that, you'll be able to find ways to, continue to make yourself relevant and to continue to update your skills and your skill set as you go along. Uh, The only other thing I would advise is and something both of us have have, uh, had to deal with is social media is really going to be the primary driver of communications. Now, before it used to be relationships with reporters and other things like that. But now social media has taken on such a role that uh, mastery of social media and social media marketing and communications in particular is the way towards the future.
0: Well, great advice. And uh, thank you so much for, for doing this with me today. I'll, I'll make sure I link in some of your contact information in the descriptor. Uh, so if anyone's looking for a strong communications person, uh, your door, I bet is always open.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you very much and appreciate having you, Steve, or appreciate being on your show, Steve.
0: Not a problem. Thanks again for this. The the next phase with Steve Key podcast is available on most of the podcast networks. I'm always looking for good stories, much like Bob's. Uh, You can DM me on Instagram or Twitter uh, at Steve underscore Key, K E E, and my email will be in the podcast description. Again, as I always say, I wish you all. A wonderful day.